Father, we thank you, thank you that you're an unchanging God. We don't have to try to find you in the shifting shadows. We don't have to find who and what you're like in the 21st century. You're the God that young people need, elderly people need, singles, married, family people, career, business, homemakers. You are the God that we all need. And you are found in your word and understood through those truths, Lord. So let us gleam truths from the word today for our own lives as we study how you handled others, how you protected them, how you brought them through many difficulties in order to accomplish your will. So bless us tonight, Lord, as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember taking home our first child from the hospital. Um, I think many of you have experienced that. We have some young moms in here today as well and dads. You remember that time, you know, they, you go to the hospital and you know it's coming. It's been something you've been waiting for and, and, and eventually that child's born and you're there for a day or two, depending on your insurance. And then they just give you this thing and say, go home. You know, it's like, wow, I mean... Is there more to this? And, and, I mean, you're like, oh, this thing is like crystal, right? You're, you're guarding everything. You're, you're, you know, mom's in the back seat with a baby. You're driving half the speed you would ever drive going home. I mean, you're just so protective of this. And the third one, you're running lights. You know, the windows are down. There's a bee in the car, you know. Tons of pictures of the first one. They kind of deter- you know, the pictures kind of go down as the second one. Third come. But there's always something to that, you know. God doesn't change with his people. He, he, is, he is no less concerned with us as he was is with Jacob in this text. He loves us. He doesn't change. And the more I study these Old Testament passages and say, wow, yes, there's an ancient culture there. Uh, there's different things going on. We'll see in this text how they handle things very differently. It's very sinful in the Old Testament. There's tons of sin going on and bad relationships and all of that. But through that, God's the same. So you can study these texts and you come away and go, that's my God. He does that for me as he did for Jacob. So I want you to grasp those things Today, as we see God caring for this infant nation, it's a baby nation. The seed is in one of these sons. And God must bring that seed through and flourish this family, and eventually, down through time, bring the Lord Jesus Christ so he could hang on a cross for us. But he is protecting this little family. But here, as we drop into this text again, let me just remind you, it's 20 years have passed since Rebecca said, hey, Jacob, you need to leave. Your brother wants to kill you, and you can probably find a wife with my brother's family in Haran. So go there where Laban is and tell him who you are. That's 20 years. What were you doing 20 years ago? And Think about the main things he was doing was working for two wives and then caring for the, the flocks of Laban and gaining flocks from him, as we saw last week. Doubtlessly, uh, Rebecca and Jacob never thought that they would be gone this long. They probably thought Esau would cool down, he would go, maybe find a wife, spend some time there and return, but now it's 20 years. But clearly, our great God, who rules over our lives and allows amazing events to transpire, uh, uh, transpire, he 
he's not surprised by what goes on. He, he knows it. And, and as we study Jacob's life here, you see that these difficult last 24 years um, of labor and family squabbles and deceitful living with his father-in-law, but nothing's going to compare to what he's going to run into in the next 50. And we'll see that through the life of Joseph and others, but just some things I wrote down that you're going to see throughout the rest of um, the book of Genesis, you're going to see death, the death of his mother, death of wives. You're going to see jealousy take over in his own sons. You're going to see them fake and lie about a death, namely Joseph's. You're going to see human trafficking. Isn't that not true? There's human trafficking going on in Genesis. There's slavery. There's rape uh, accusations. There's prison time. There's famine. There's paybacks. (laughs) And finally, there's a move to Egypt where Jacob will die And the tiny little nation will grow tremendously there in the land of Goshen and protect it before God brings them out in a mighty way. But through it all, as you look at this text tonight, remember that God has a plan. And despite the sin and struggles of these people that we're going to study, Jacob and and these, these women and these sons, God is going to prevail. He's going to prevail. Now, Chapter 31, it's moving day. It's moving day. It's time to go home. Let's look at a couple of thoughts for this text. Number one, when God says to go home. When God says to go home. Look at verse 1 through 3. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what belongs to our father's, he has made all of his wealth. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly towards him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your forefathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Well, verses 1 and 1 through 3 begin to help you understand this is inevitable, isn't it? <laughs> Remember, there has been a separation of the flocks. Um, Jacob said, Look, this time we're making a contract. You worked me over on the last one. This time we're going to work this together. And so he said, look, we're going to take the flocks and I'll take all the striped and spotted ones. They're kind of worthless on the market. You'll get all the good stuff. How about that, Laban? Oh, Laban says, hey, you're appealing to my pride. That's good. Little did Laban know God was going to bless the hand of Jacob. God had seen that Jacob prospered in everything he did in Haran. Everything he did, everything he touched turned to gold in a sense. And of course, all the while, his father-in-law was trying to sabotage everything he was doing. None of you have ever had a quote, quote, friend or family member ever try to do that stuff to you. God's greater than them if they're trying that. But here, Jacob is still being blessed. Now, even though Jacob's flocks were three days' journey, remember, they're three days' journey apart from Laban's, The day finally comes when the obvious could not be overlooked anymore. His herds are growing. Jacob's are shrinking. I mean, Laban's are shrinking. Um, The stronger livestock belong to Jacob. The weaker ones belong to Laban. And the boys notice. And they begin to clamor. Up to this point, we haven't heard much from Laban since he dumped his two daughters and his handmaidens off on Jacob 14 years ago. 
now pushing on to 20, but Laban's family was much larger than just those two girls. The text here tells us that he had sons. And so they were probably now older and powerful and helping to run the ranch and the farming and all the stuff that went with it. And they're watching their dad's assets shrink. <laughs> and they're watching old brother-in-law, who we don't really care for. Anyway, his assets are growing. And father-like sons, they realize that those assets will one day be theirs. And so this stirs these boys. You can see this in the text. They're going, hey, wait a minute. What's going on? That stuff's going to be ours someday, and, they, and Jacob's taking it. But God, he, he's watching this, and he gives instruction to Jacob. And, and notice in these first couple of verses, in verse 3, he says, it's time to go. It's time to go. I brought you here. You owe nothing but what you carried. I've given you everything. You have wives and servants and flocks and herds. You, I've blessed you. It's time to go. It's interesting here that God first appeared to Jacob to confirm his covenant. Remember when he was on the way to Laban's, he stopped in Bethel. There God confirmed the covenant that he was going to make a great nation out of him, that from his seed a Messiah would come. And, and so now he, he visited him. We'll see this in the coming verses, that he had told them how to manage those flocks and how he would bless those flocks. And now here, this third time God is talking to, to Jacob, he says, it's time to go home. Notice verse 4 through 13. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flocks in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude, <laughs> that it's not friendly towards me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages. Notice this, ten times. We don't, we don't see that recorded, do we, in the narrative? Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. If he spoke thus, so this is where he begins to tell of the second appearance that the Lord spoke to him. The speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks brought through, uh, forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the stripes shall be your wages, and then all the flocks were brought forth with stripes. He's giving credit to God here. And thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given it to me. And it came about at that time when the flocks were mating that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the male goats which were mating were striped and speckled and, and modded. And then the angel of the Lord said to me, Jacob, in the dream, Jacob. And he said, here am I. And he said, lift up your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped and speckled and modded. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, lead this land, and return to the land of your birth. Jacob was most likely moving between herds. He's managing his livestock, and he's managing his father's father-in-law's livestock. And now his wives and children were probably back in the camp somewhere in the headquarters where Laban was. But he sees fit here to get ready to depart. God has told him to go home. And so he takes his family, moves them out closer to him. I'm sure he probably said, hey, I really miss them. I'm working a lot of hours. Just want them out close to me. And you could understand that. And certainly Laban probably did not see uh, that coming 
And it seems Jacob, Jacob is setting a plan here. He's got a three-day separation between him and Laban, so Laban's not able to quite keep tabs on him maybe like he wanted. But the language in the text suggests that, that Jacob was striving to convince his wives that Laban won't tolerate Jacob's herds any longer. He's convincing them, look, this is, this is not going to go over good with your dad. Now, I think there was probably some serious conversations um, in the evening with his wives of what God had told him, and he reaccounts these to the, to the women. But now God's word records that it's time to leave. And, and what's interesting is, I, I, it seems like maybe Laban is, uh, like Jacob is a little bit hesitant. And, and so this is the first time we hear the girls really talk about the family situation. Notice in verse 14. Rachel and Le- Leah said to him, do, do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? It's not a question, it's more of a statement in a question form. It's rhetorical. He spent everything. He's not held to his promises, what he would do for us, is what they're saying. Verse 15, and we not reckoned by him as foreigners? Are we not reckoned? I mean, he's, he, look, he, goes, he treats us like foreigners. I, I don't know if you've ever been poorly treated by a family member. That, that's what's going on here. It goes on to say, for he has sold us. Sold your own daughters. Yeah, I'll give you my daughter. I'll work for seven years. Yeah, you got to take this one first. Work another seven years for the next one. These girls knew this. They, I think sometimes we look at ancient people in the scriptures and we go, ah, they're not as smart as people are today. They built arcs. <laughs> they did things that we, you know. I mean, you want to go out in the woods and go build an ark? These people are not dumb, and they, they understand this. And I love this response here. They're saying, he sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. So everything you did to gain us, he's blown. Clearly not a good steward of finances. Verse 16, surely all the wealth which God, notice what they say here. And this is probably Rachel maybe being the spokesperson here. Surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us and our children. Now then, here's a great comment, do whatever God said to you. Wow, isn't it nice when your spouse says, hey, let's do what God wants us to do. That's a good response. So the girls may have fought over their husband Jacob and and certainly not is the ideal picture of what God wants for marriage in this text as we've spoken over the last few sessions together. But clearly they're in agreement here. They believe their dad's a, cheats, a cheapskate, he's a scam artist, and he's a liar. And it's time to go. <laughs> and you can see them relating that. It seems like ever since Rachel had Joseph, possibly the girls are getting along a little better. We do not see the, the difficulties that they had before um, in the text. Notice verse 17 and 18. Then Jacob arose and put his children and his wife upon camels. Um, remember we talked about that last week that he was gaining not only just sheep and goats. He was gain, gaining rideable uh, livestock that he could load things on and move. So he was planning this. And he drove away uh, all his livestock and all his property which he had gathered. His acquired livestock which he had gathered in Padanaram and 
and to go to the land of Canaan, his father Isaac. Only the wives, um, they had come and they said, let's go, we're on board with this. And once they were on board, Jacob seems to gather strength and he leaves. Notice our second thought, scamming the scammer and running for the border. Now this is quite a story as you begin to think about this. Follow along as I read 19 through 23. When Laban had gone to shear his flock, this is a good timing, then Rachel stole the household idols that were in her father's. That were her father's. And Jacob deceived Laban, the Armenian, Armenian, by telling him that he was fleeing, by not telling him he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. Then it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his kinsmen with him and, per, and per, uh, pursued him to a distance of seven days' journeys, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. Now, remember, Jacob has a three-day separation of his flocks from Laban's, um, and he has the element of surprise. So Laban goes out to shear his sheep. Um, that's quite a deal. When you're out shearing sheep, you move the whole outfit out. It's a non-stop process to shear those sheep because they're, they get stressed. You, you just, you can't, you got to go do this. Everybody's involved in it. So Jacob's smart. He picks a good time to go. He has an element of surprise here. He also took three days, um, it also took three days for Laban to recognize Jacob's gone. So this gives him a roughly... Six-day jump on him. Now, it says it crosses the river. I don't know if your Bible has it in italics there. It says Euphrates in italics. It's because that word's not in the original text. So there's been a lot of discussion you can read on, well, which way did he go? Because we pretty much know where he was. He's about 500 miles from Beersheba, and he's up north. And he's across the border that never, ever becomes the nation of Israel's. He's across in a different land. And so, basically what he was, he was three days probably east of Laban, and he needs to get southwest. So he had to drop down, he had to drop down and come underneath Laban, and then start heading south to get to where he is going. This cost Jacob some valuable time, doubtlessly, to get home. Um, and, he's, and he's moving as fast as he can. Notice the text that he's moving as fast as he can. Uh, I know when we would move cattle from southeast Oregon back into northern California, we had many days where we'd drive them in the fall and bring them back. We would cover about 20 miles with anywhere from about 500 mama cows, all with calves on their, on their side. So it's quite a herd you're moving. And we cover about 20 miles a day. That was about as best we could do without wearing everybody out and getting babies sick and so forth. So you can imagine how far and how fast they're trying to move. Now, we would, we're riding horseback and driving cattle. They're walking. But it is, it is said traditionally that they would do 15 to 20 miles a day. That's how they're getting away. Notice verse 23, that it marks this closing speed here that Laban's now putting on them. He's coming and he's gaining on them. Doubtless he's not driving any herds. He's on camel or horseback and he is running them down. And it's not hard to follow somebody who has this large herd and, and families. And I mean, they're leaving tracks that, you know, a blind person could follow. Um, and he catches up with them. Notice verse 24. God came to Laban, the Aramine, in a dream uh, of the night and, uh, and said to him, be careful. Now, this is a warning. This is a strong term. That you do not speak to Jacob either good 
or bad. So this is an interesting dream. The little details are given to us in the scriptures here. But he, but he says, do not speak good or bad to him. In other words, back off Laban. You better watch it. And this is the God of Abraham who's speaking to them. And so now God is starting to protect this family. And Laban knew that Jacob's God was powerful. He had heard the stories. Remember when Jacob first got there, the Bible says he related all that had taken place. He told the stories of Abraham. He told the great stories of Isaac, what what their God had done. Laban is not unaware of that the God of Jacob is a very powerful God. And now he has appeared to him in a dream. And plus, and plus, Laban had seen all that God had done through Jacob. He had never seen anything like it. Everything Jacob touched turned to gold. Everything produced well. Everything he did blossomed. And so now he doubtlessly knew that Jacob's God was protecting him. Notice verse 25 through 30. Laban caught up with Jacob. And Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. And Laban, with his kinsmen, that'd be his, child, his, his sons and all his workers and family members, a large contingency, camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, they're camping in different spots, is what that's trying to tell you, but they're meeting together. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me? And did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with song and timber and lyle. And did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Now you will... You, now you have indeed gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. And then this little phrase here. But why did you steal my gods? What an interesting little phrase to close that out. Um, it's not hard to track him. He caught up with them. They're in the hill country. They, they meet together. Laban catches up with them. Jacob had gone as fast and as far as he could. It took him seven days to get there. But there's very interesting choices of words here. This is the cheat, this is the scam artist talking. Verse 26, why did you, um, what have you done by deceiving me? Well, if that's not calling the kettle black, right? Notice in the next verse, verse 27, why did you flee secretly and deceive me? And then then he says, and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away. He had all kinds of time to send him away. You got free labor. Everything's going on. Good for you. Why would he send him away? So you see the lies that are done there. And then he uses verse 28, you've done foolishly. And probably more difficult here is the verse, in verse 29, is the phrase this. It is my power to do harm to you. That's a threat. And it's interesting that Laban is speaking this kind of language. Though he's careful, you can see him. He's not going as far as this crooked man wants to go because he's protecting his language because God told him not to. But he says that I have the power. But actually he doesn't because God said don't do this and he didn't do it. And God had control over that. And God was interceding for the power to protect this young family here. Now, notice in verse 30. 
So now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. Well, that's kind of a positive uh, comment, like, well, you, you just want to go home, I get that. But he's leading up to something here. He's leading up to this statement, but why did you steal my gods? Well, first, this statement lets us into Laban's spiritual life. <laughs> and probably, think about this, the way the girls were raised. This is not, this is not a family attached to the God of Abraham in any shape or form. The scriptures uh, don't tell us why Rachel stole the idols, but the scriptures do tell us in verse 16 through 19 there what the girls thought of their father. He's a cheat. He's a liar. He's done all these things to us. He's stolen what rightfully belongs to us. And, And for some reason, which the Bible doesn't tell us, Rachel steals these idols. Now, All this points to a very gracious God that uses fallen people to bring about his divine will. And with all that said, Jacob actually knew nothing that Rachel had done. And he he seems ready to light into Laban for these accusations. Jacob's response displays a frustration of 20 years of pinned up, probably frustration with his father-in-law. So Jacob sees Laban is pretending to love his daughters. He says, oh, I would have kissed them. I would have sang songs. I would have played music. I would have done all that. Well, you didn't do that for 20 years. And all of a sudden now, and Jacob sees this. He sees through this lying, deceitful person here. So Jacob is probably beginning to understand that if it were not for God speaking to Laban, he'd probably been in a serious fight right now. These guys came for war. That was their goal. And it isn't until the night before that God says, don't touch him, don't mess with him. Don't speak good or bad to him. And Laban backs off. Notice verse 31, then Jacob replied to Laban, because because I was afraid. He says, you know, why'd you leave? Why'd you do all this? Why'd you sneak away? And Jacob's response is, because I was afraid. For I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Now, it's always interesting when you spend time with somebody, words tell you what's going through their heart, isn't it? Out of the heart, out of the mouth flows the things of the heart. And so you can see that this isn't just Jacob going, hey, paybacks, I'm leaving, sorry. He's genuinely afraid of this man. And and most of the time, fear is not conjured up, is it? Fear is created by someone who is mean, someone who is, is godless, someone who acts poorly. It conjures up fear in women and even here in Jacob. Now, verse 31, we realize that Laban is a scammer, he's a deceiver, and apparently Jacob knew him to be violent. And so his response is, is I, I, I believe you're going to take me by force. Verse 32, the one with whom you find your God shall not live. And now he's going to respond to him. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So he's completely unaware of these stolen idols. But this verse shows such a contrast. 
Jacob has earned everything in his possession. This is all my stuff. I've earned it. I've taken nothing of yours. We had a contract. We wrote it down. We agreed on it. I got all the speckled stuff, the striped stuff, the modded stuff. You got all the, the clean wool stuff. I only have what's mine. Go look. If you find anything, take it. It's, it's quite a, a confrontation here. Laban's been this scam artist and deceiver and thief. And Jacob is gaining confidence now that everything he has, he's earned and God has given him. Notice verse 33 through 35. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids. Isn't it interesting the order he's going in? But he, but he did not find them. He was looking for those idols. Then he went out to Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had, been take, had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. So uh, at first you think she's sitting on the camel outside. She's actually got the saddle in the tent. You understand that? And here's what, uh, here's what happens. And Laban felt through all of the tent but did not find them. She said to her father, let, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of woman is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household idols. Now, now here Laban, being the deceiver he is, has learned not to trust anybody. That, that's what thieves do. Thieves don't trust anybody because they're thieves, right? So he goes searching through all of his families, his daughter's stuff. He starts, first of all, working his way through Jacob's stuff. Then he goes to Leah's stuff. And what's interesting is he goes to the maid, the maid servants next, and then Rachel. Now, now why? Now, now the, the text doesn't say it, but just think, there's probably been favoritism going along all along. He knew Rachel was the beautiful one. He knew that was one that Jacob wanted. He probably had a, a, a favoritism there. We're going to see Jacob struggle with that with Joseph later on. And the last and least, he goes into Rachel's tent. And Rachel gives her this line, gives him this line of, I'm in the way of woman. Um, and men are always scared of that anyway. Uh, so he, he buys that hook, line, and sinker and, uh, and walks out and says, okay, they're not there. And number three is our next point. Jacob stands his ground with his unjust father-in-law. When we look at verse 36... In 37, he starts to really gain his confidence here. Then Jacob became angry. I mean, this is all happening out in the wilderness, right? Seven days it took Laban to, to track him down. Now this family confrontation's going on because there has been a crooked, deceiving father who's been leading this family and dealing, dealing poorly with them for 20 years. And it's all come to a head. I mean, you ever have a family big blow up ever? Maybe some of you have seen this stuff. This is happening. The servants are all watching. Everybody's going on. Man, what's going to happen here? You know, servants are probably gearing up. Is this going to come out to swords and fighting? I mean, it's, this is tense. But Jacob's got to a point where he's not taking it anymore. And he says, that, the Bible says, Then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my transgression? Use a strong Hebrew word for no knowing sin, uh, we get our word to trespass from it. There's a line in the sand, I know what it is, and I willfully go across it. He says, what did I willfully do wrong to you? Is the idea of this word here. And then he uses another word. What is my sin? 
that you have hotly pursued me. Though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found? Of all your household goods, set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that we may decide between us two. Well, really, verse 36 and 37 are this young man. He's not that young, I guess, but um, here he has a young family. He's gaining confidence, and his 20 years of pinned-up frustration comes out of him. And basically he says, put up or shut up. What'd you find? Everything here I've earned, including your daughters, they all belong to me. And so you can see the, the tenseness in this family ordeal going on here. And then he, he goes even farther, kind of, of rehearsing what's gone on. Follow this through 38 down through 42. These, these 20 years I have been with you. He, this is, he's recounting like this like it happened yesterday. You know when you've been greatly hurt. Sometimes we have a hard time forgive, forgetting. We can forgive, but we have a hard time forgetting. And you can see this coming out of him. These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes, your female goats have not miscarried nor have I eaten the rams of your flock. He, he ate his own, meaning I produced my own food. I didn't use yours. Verse 39, that which was torn of beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss myself. When you're, in the, when you're in the livestock business, you always have death loss, and you have to budget death loss into your uh, finances when you're looking, because you get paid usually once a year when you sell your calves or whatever. So you always have death loss. What he is saying here is during all the death loss, you never saw it because I ate it. That's a pretty good employee. He should have paid for that. Laban should have taken care of that. But Jacob says, you didn't suffer anything because I took care of. This is the kind of guy you want working for you. You want to hire this guy if you know him. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. So if he lost them, if some marauders and, or raiders, which would have been out in this country. Remember, when you study the Old Testament, everybody is nervous as they move around because there isn't a police force out there, right? There's no 911. So stuff is stolen, and when you have livestock, you can't be with it 24 hours. We had, we had, a, um, <laughs> we had some calves shot and killed and taken by people uh, through the years. And you know who did it, but you can't prove it, right? They, they, they just gone. They take them and they shoot them and they take them away and you lose livestock and there goes 500 bucks just went off in somebody's trunk. So all that happened and what Jacob's saying, I ate that. And not only that, look at verse 40. Thus I, I was by day, the heat consumed me, the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. I think sometimes when we read these narratives, we go, well, you know, he's just farming out there and having sheep and, you know, scraping off some sticks and throwing them in the feeder and everything's looking good. You read this text and you go, this was hard labor. <laughs> this means lack of time with, with, with the wives and the children. He's out there in the heat of the day in the desert. And if you've ever been in the desert, it's very cold at night and very warm in the day. And he doesn't sleep because he's trying to protect his father-in-law's flocks. Verse 41, these 20 years I've been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flocks. And he, now he repeats it again, and you changed my wages 10 times. This is all coming out of him in this confrontation out in the desert. And God's protecting him through these things. And he unleashes this 20 years of tension. 
and this internal struggle that Jacob had of how he had been treated. And I just want to make a couple of comments here. Those whom God chooses to work his will through, which could be any of us, it's not just pastors or whatever. If he has, God has a will and he has a will for all of our lives. If you're a believer and he wants something done in your life, you will suffer at times. You'll often have to endure suffering at the hands of others. And think about this for just a moment. The pursuit of righteousness through the grace of God will always draw the fire of the evil one. And any time you stand for what is right, and, and though Jacob has some wishy-washy times during his life, right? He doesn't handle the birthright and trust God and, and the blessing and all that like he should have because God already had promised that to him. We see some of that shifty stuff out of him. But when you think about this, for 20 years, he served this man. And there's great integrity here, and he stood for what was right. And because of it, he was taken advantage of it. And I know that happens to people. One of the top things we get counseling on is people come in and say, you know, Pastor, this is happening to me. This person's doing this to me. What do I do? How do I handle this? You know, and the Bible doesn't say, well, go back and get even, does it? <laughs> the Bible's full of stuff like turn the other cheek. The Bible's stuff like act righteous when nobody else is. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why Christ did things. And so that's hard on us, isn't it? I mean, we want to kind of go eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Let's go to it. Right? That's our natural tendency to come out of us. That's not fair. We're going to make this right. Right now, somebody's going down. But so often, believers, when we study the Bible, they are misused, miscared for, cheated and deceived. But God's watching. God's watching. In the great day of judgment, you can read this later in Revelation chapter 20, when the, when the books are opened and the lost are judged, he judges, this is the wording, he judges them according to their deeds. I find great comfort in that. One, meaning I don't have to go back and square everything up and fix everything. God will take care of that someday. And it teaches us that God doesn't miss anything and that he's recording the sins of the wicked and he will judge them according to it. And as believers, we have to many times leave things in the hands of God. And the minute you try to take God's place and you try to enact vengeance because he says, vengeance is mine. I'm going to take care of it in Revelations 20. It may not be taken care of till then, but you need to trust me. But anytime we try to take vengeance, man, the things blow up. And that doesn't mean, brothers and sisters, that we don't address sin. That we, if there's sin, or we do church discipline here as a church, or, or even within our families, that we address sin. We must do that. But when you do it to, to get vengeance, to, to make yourself feel right, and you go beyond what God is asking the Scriptures to do, there is great problems. Jesus says this, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master's master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. This think down through history. Church history is such a great lesson. If we don't learn from it, we'll repeat it. But often this pressure builds up in, in society and all of a sudden that society just can't take it anymore and they've got to turn because they want their unrighteousness. They want to be accepted of what they do and they've got to find the people who 
won't do what they do or at least stand against what they do and they turn that vengeance towards it. It happens all the way down through church history. From Nero all the way down to the reformers, men and women have been slaughtered through the years because they said, no, I can't do that. That's not what God's word says. And you can see it building in our society again, can you not? You can see it building. You can see the lack of tolerance for, for a biblical view of marriage, for raising of children, or how a man conducts himself in society. It's building. And so this, this illustrates that in here. And Jacob's saying, I've done this for you. I've lived this way for you. But you keep changing my wages, and, and you keep stealing, and you didn't acknowledge all that I did for you. Verse 42 is real key here. He says, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me. What a statement there. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. <laughs> He's saying, look, if God wasn't for me, you would have taken my wives, my children, all of my wealth, and I would have left Haran just the way I came. Nothing in my pocket, nothing on my back. If it was up to you, but God saw something different. And he said there in the end of the verse, God has seen my affliction and the toils of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. Don't touch him, don't talk bad to him, don't talk good to him, do not mess with Jacob. That's what he's talking about. Last night, that dream, that's what that was about, Laban. <laughs> See, God protects his family, he does. There's so many things we just have to let him solve. Do your part, confront sin lovingly and gently. This is what the Bible says. And let God take care of it from there. And here, and I'm sure Jacob was scared. He's not, he doesn't seem to, he seems to be the opposite of Esau, right? Esau's this man's man out shooting things, doing all that. Jacob kind of hangs around the skirt of his mother. So doubtless he was afraid. And he worked this whole scheme, get three days away, get a three-day jump. Maybe I can get across and get to somewhere safe before he can find us. And so his heart's pounding as Laban rides up. And, but then he begins to hear this dream he had. And he goes, that's the God that talked to me. God's in this. He's protecting me. And so Jacob's faith is revealed more than ever in this passage. And he confesses that God is with him. And God saw his affliction. And he saw the toil of his hands. He saw the whole work. Some, some of you work so hard and... And maybe you don't have what you want. You maybe don't have the houses and the finances or the retirement maybe you, you haven't had. But, but God sees the toil of your hands. He watches over that. Just some verses just to jot down and look at later. Second Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he, um, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I love that verse. God's looking for those who are toiling and doing his will. He wants, the words are very strong. He wants to strongly support those who do his will. And, and often our counsel, so often from pastors to, to counselee is, let's find the will of God and let's do that. Because that's what he's going to bless. I, I have said a million times, some of you have heard me say that, give him something to bless. 
So many people will come in and want us to okay something that's against the scriptures. And we go, we can't do that. We love you enough to say, no, this is not what God has. Do something, act, live by your heart according to the ways that he has laid down. Give him something to bless. And he will strongly support you. We've had so many people come back through the years and tell us, thank you for the counsel. It was very hard to hear. It felt unfair because he was doing this or she was doing that. It felt so unfair. But God did, and he took care of me, and he took us through the roughest times and brought us out, and he has given us what we need, and we praise him daily. And I think this is what's coming out of Jacob at this point in his life. Listen to Psalms 33, 18 through 22. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. He's watching you. On those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our helper and our shield. Our souls rejoice in him because he trusts in his holy name, because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. What a great psalm. David pouring his heart out in times of difficulties. So it seems that this is possibly a turning point in Jacob's life, and yet he has some of the most difficult years ahead of him. Last thought here tonight. For God builds a wall of protection for his infant nation. Notice in verse 43. Then Laban replied to Jacob. Now listen to this. After all of that. The daughters are my daughters. And the children are my children. And the flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these, my daughters, and to their children whom you have born? <laughs> he didn't get anything out of that, did he? He never heard anything. And this is what happens when you talk to deceivers and scammers and people who are only in everything for themselves. You can speak truth, pour your heart out to them, and then they'll go, I don't care. That's all mine. I don't want to share. <laughs> and, and you can just see this come out of Laban. And in fact, the English language doesn't quite capture the Hebrews. I was reading this in the Hebrew today. I mean, it is aggressive. This is full tilt, possibly in the face of each other, going, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. And then he remembers, God said, don't speak good or bad, and he kind of backs off. Because he fears this God of Jacob. He does fear him in some way, not in a fear like we would have a worshiping fear. He knows this God is powerful and he has shown that in Jacob's life. But (laughs) Jacob was just unleashed on Laban and now he fires back, but he quickly pulls back and doubtlessly Laban would have had the firepower to take Jacob. He's got those sons with him that didn't like Jacob. He's got probably more servants and more firepower. But God is protecting. Look at 44 and 45. So now, so now come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Now, again, the English language, you know, is this, we do so well. I think our English Bibles are phenomenal, but this is why we teach our preachers and our seminarians to learn languages, because the strength is in there. And, and what's happening here is the setting here is the separation of two budding nations, right? You have a, a baby nation in, in Judah there that's in the seed of Judah who's already born now. 
Um, but you also have Laban's tribe, and it isn't hard to trail back Laban's people, and they become a strong, powerful, opposing Arab tribe against the nation of Israel later on. And they hold that border that's made here, and they oppose um, uh, the nation of Israel from forever. They're still opposing them, right? So, so here, God's protecting is evident here, and, and, and yet now they're going to set up this kind of ancient peace treaty here. Look at verse 46 through 48. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made heaps, and, and they ate there by the heap. But now Laban called it Jagera uh, Sahuthdalath. I have to work on that one. That's Arabic. But Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, it is named Galid. Now, Laban calls it an Arabic name. Isn't that interesting? And Jacob calls it a Hebrew name. But the first two are saying, they're translated this way, they're a heap of stones or a witness. We would translate it that way. But this mispath here, the last word is called a watchtower. And so Jacob said this is a watchtower. And it's clearly a boundary, it's a wall between two nations. And, and, and think about this, this is the same blood family, right? This is Rachel's brother. Excuse me, this is Rebecca's brother, right? This is Rebecca's brother. This is the same family, but there are two distinct spiritual families. I want you to get that. Because God has called out from Abraham's family this, this little family that's going to become this great nation and the seed of Christ is going to come from them. And, and that's what happens. Sometimes our families get divided over the gospel and over the truth of the scriptures. But notice verse 49, what happens here. Mizpath, for he said, and he called it Mizpath, for he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. This is Laban still speaking. Now, this is a very blunt statement. It's not as kind as you think it reads in the English. Um, this is not just some pleasantry of goodwill between them. What Laban has, has said is he believes that Jacob robbed him, right? He's just said that. He said, this is mine. These, these girls are mine. These children are mine. Everything you see is mine. Don't forget that. That's where his thinking is. So he is not saying, oh, this is good. You know, we're going to have shake hands and be friends and, you know, see each other at Thanksgiving here. He believes he's been robbed. So Laban is calling on on Jacob's God, Yahweh, to be a watchman between them. Not a watchman for protection, but more here the terminology, particularly in the Hebrew, is a, is a military watching. May your God strike you down if you come across a line and try to take my stuff again. That's the idea of it. He's thinking, all right, your God seems to be more powerful than mine. I can't even find my little gods that disappeared out of my house. Let's call on that God, and if you cross that line, he's going to get you. Why? What's he doing? He goes, you took me, and I'm not going to let it happen again. He's clearly a tremendously self-centered man here. Look at 50 through 53 as we wind this up. He says, if you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, I kind of like that statement, although... No man is with, with us sees. God is a witness between you and me. So he's, it's interesting. He's calling on this God. He actually knows is there because he spoke to him. But his, 
but his trust is in these little gods that are gone, right? And Laban said to Jacob, Behold the heap, and behold the pillar that which I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap for you, to you for harm, or you will not pass by this heap and this pillar for me for harm. So this thing's a military DMZ zone is what it is. Don't go through it. Verse 53. The God of Abraham. Now this is very interesting. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. Uh-oh. There's something wrong with that. And then the last little phrase. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Now, what's the problem here? Well, Laban swears by the God of Abraham's father. <laughs> Do you know who the God of Abraham's father was? It wasn't the God. It was a false God. And he actually, this is how far, this is why you understand, Laban is not in the, what we call in the faith. He's not a believer here in it. He says the God of Abraham, okay, that's the God, then the God of Nahor, that's Abraham's brother, and the God of his father, that's Terah. And you remember your Bible as Joshua takes them into the land and he's giving them the last sermon. He says, Joshua says to all the people in Joshua 21, 24, 2, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your father lived beyond the river. Remember they crossed that river? Probably the Euphrates here. Namely, here he goes, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So you begin to understand, Nathan has no, I mean, excuse me, Laban has no idea, really, the, the real true God. He just knows there is a God that's kind and protects Jacob, and he thinks they're kind of all together. And it's, it's interesting, so the world does that. Well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. No, we're not. And, and this is such an interesting statement because he kind of lumps them all together, but notice, notice Jacob's response. Jacob goes, oh, I'm not swearing by that. And so Jacob swears by the fear of his father Isaac. In other words, I'm going to swear by the God of my father. Because I know that God. That God came and talked to me at Bethel. That God told me how to separate the flocks. That God said, Jacob, go home. That God, and here's probably what's going through his mind, has protected me today. You're thinking about idols and all this stuff. That's why you're here. You're trying to find your little golden idols. There's a God so much greater than that. Notice the last just few verses here. And we'll close 54 and 55. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, called his kinsmen to the meal. And they, they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and his daughters, and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. The borders are set now. Laban has made his threats and made his little self-righteous posture. And then in 54, I, I think what way I kind of looked at this verse where they have this meal together. And it seems almost that Jacob feels a relief. I think, just, just think about that. Maybe you might be a little more a person who worries a little more. Um, or, or maybe you struggle with fear a little more. I think this is who Jacob is. 
And I, I think this confront, confrontation probably kept them up at night. He knew they was coming. He knew he was going to have to deal with this, but God strengthened him. And I think this little party, this little meal at the end was Jacob probably going, whew, you protected us. Have you ever gone through a hard family meeting where you knew it was going to be difficult? You asked people to pray for you and you went into it and God strengthened you and helped you speak the right things and say the right things. And, and when it was done, there was a relief to it. I think that's what happened here. And so what happens in response to all that, Jacob offers a sacrifice to the Lord. He worships the Lord. And they have a big family meal together and there's a sense of relief. And then 55 is just so generic, right? Laban wakes up, says goodbye to his family, gives them kisses, gives them some kind of pagan blessing. And he walks out of their life forever according to the scriptures. Laban's name is mentioned three more times in the Bible. Chapter 32, verse 4 only says his name in the fact that Jacob is telling his servants to go ahead and tell Esau where he's been. He's been with Laban's family. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 1, his name is used twice just in the use of lineage. Laban is never mentioned again in the Bible. Jacob is mentioned hundreds of times. His name is changed to Israel. He is forever associated with the nation of Israel. He is often referred to as the one, the God of Jacob. He, he, you can clearly see the true and living God was with Jacob. And though, brothers and sisters, I want you to get this down. Though he is a very fallible man, just like you and I, he did some stupid things and he didn't trust God at times. He didn't wait on the Lord to give him what he had promised. We do that, don't we, all the time. So don't be hard on him. <laughs> and yet through all of that, God takes him through very difficult waters. And he trusts the Lord. And when the time came, he put his faith in the God of his fathers. That he knew who, they, who, who, who he was and what Abraham had done and what Isaac had done. And now the God that has spoken to them. And so it's kind of a sad story in one way. There's nowhere in the scriptures that it says that he ever saw his daughters or grandkids again. He got on his camel and rode away. And he put a border between them. I never want to see you again. And if you do, you come across this, may your God kill you. What kind of father is this? So you can just see the difficulties. And I think this is so important as we study this because so many Christians have had difficult upbringings. They did not have a father who loved them the way God intended them to. Uh, and, and when I read these things, I find great comfort because no matter how our family treats us, our husbands or wives or second cousins or whatever it may be, or, or even our situations at work, God is watching. He loves righteousness and he loves to bless righteousness. And so there's such a great lesson, brothers and sisters. Do what's right. Do what's right. God will take you through it. He will not forsake you. He loves you. And you are his real children if you confess Jesus as your Savior. Amen? Father, these stories get richer and richer as we go. They become so real, Lord, as we read your scriptures. We see the scene. We see this man gathering everything he has and probably great fear and anxiety upon his heart as he's trying to escape a tyrant, a cheat, a scammer. 
He's trying to get his family that he loves protected and away, and yet there's, there's a pursuit there, Lord. And we can imagine what was going through his mind and the fears that he went through. And yet, Lord, when the time came, you strengthened him to trust you when he had to stand in a difficult situation. And he realizes that you, the true God, was with him. And this is hard, this is hard Lord. This is hard when we struggle with those we love who take different positions and, or there's cheating or lying or deceit gone on, Lord. Father, I pray that when we study these, this word, this Bible that you've put into our hands, Lord, that we would learn to be men and women, young people who, are, who choose by God's grace, not through legalism, but by God's grace to do what's right. Because you love the righteous. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us. Thank you for these stories. May we live this out in our own lives. Tomorrow, we will all have opportunity to do what's right or to do what's wrong. May we choose righteousness because of you, God. Not because of our moral training, but because of you. You're worthy of it, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.